0: Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 65 Preacher I Was Is Rev L any good as a preacher? Will he ever stop preaching? We're spending a few weeks talking about preaching on Church Ahead Last week I told you what it feels like to hear really good preaching and pretty bad. Today, what's it like to be a preacher? What's it like to stand in the pulpit? From the age of 25 to 35, I was a preacher. Preaching was the definitive occupational activity for a decade of my life. I'm going to tell you what those 10 years felt like. And then afterwards, what did it feel like not to preach? But first, let's have the ramp up to my decade of preaching. I wonder if you've ever stood on your bed, strumming a tennis racket, looking into your bedroom mirror, singing a pop song and imagining what it's like to be a pop star. Age 20, I'm standing at the acoustical apex of a Roman theatre in Turkey. This was the summer of following St. Paul's missionary journeys. Iconium, Lystra, Doba, not much to see, but at Pisidian Antioch, the theatre is only partly ruined. Quite a bit of the semicircular structure is still there. So, of course, I read out loud Acts chapter 13, verses 13 to 52. Paul in full throttle preaching his heart out. Old Testament history loaded with Jesus. "'confrontation with scoffers and great evangelistic invitation. "'Many Gentiles are saved and filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. "'On that day, I had the place to myself. "'There was no one else around. "'So I read the passage again, a bit more confidently. "'I quite liked the way the theatre amplified my voice "'and put fire into my belly.' And then when I read the best bits for the third time, I added in a few rhetorical touches of my own. And so today, will you give your life to Christ? Imagining that the eternal salvation of hundreds of people in front of me depended on my persuasion. In one sense, it was a bit like the hortatory equivalent of a teenager singing rock music to the mirror in their bedroom. But the way I saw it was that God's word, the most powerfully creative force in the world, moving all over the universe, was flowing now through me. It didn't matter that no one else was there. I'd been drinking in the word of God for two years studying theology at Durham University. And I couldn't contain it in any longer. It was coming out of me now. God's speech was swirling around the universe and now I felt I had a small part to play in voicing God's words. It was as though the Ruach spirit blowing all around was blowing now through my voice box which was a little kite catching a tiny bit of energy. Meanwhile, back at home The Brethren Tim Potts Tabernacle, which was my home church in my late teens, didn't have paid ministers, so they were always looking for preachers. Their breaking of bread service involved an extended period of little ad hoc sermons. You just stood up and off you went with perhaps a few thoughts about the suffering servant. And our Sunday night youth fellowship made sure we got the opportunity to make a mess of a public Bible talk, and I was happy to oblige, not to mention the school CU I set up. My first proper sermon came later in the summer of going to Turkey at Salby Bridge Gospel Hall in West Yorkshire. 30-ish middle-aged folk in their Sunday best packed into a space not much bigger than my garage. I think they gave me 20 minutes and I took half an hour. I presented an evangelistic message about reconciliation from 2 Corinthians 5 to a room full of already converted people, of course. I probably spent about 15 hours preparing it, working hard to make it clear and simple and desperately trying not to sound too much like a theology undergraduate. As in Turkey... I thought the wind of God's spirit was blowing his word around and I sensed people following the big ideas and that they got through. They paid me five pounds and asked me back but the biggest glow was the experience of seeing the penny drop as I stood in front of a group of people visibly grasping fairly complex theological ideas. Yes, the preaching bug was biting. A couple of years later, I preached a few at St Stephen's Clapham Park. Again, this slightly haphazard Anglican church had quite a tradition of throwing young people in at the deep end. Opportunity knocks, and I dived in. I had superb mentors to stop me sinking. John Forrest, when he was not teaching me to use visual aids in an all-age service, was in charge of BBC religious programmes. Our curate, Mark Ashton, ran the youth organisation Cypher and gave me some really helpful feedback in how to preach the Bible without sounding like a textbook. I had a lot of help and encouragement and a fair bit of practice long before I got anywhere near Theological College. So that was the ramp-up What about my decade as a preacher, serving up a sermon or three every Sunday? As a curate, I had to take funerals and visit the sick and organise youth weekends and many other tasks. But I saw the Bible as the power source of church, and that meant Bible teaching was the most important task of ordained ministry, one-to-one, in small groups, and most of all, in the pulpit, preaching to 200 people. I took my preaching very seriously. You'd never catch me starting preparation on Saturday night. I started Monday morning with translation and biblical commentary. I was solemnly responsible for the feeding of God's people on God's word, so I wouldn't take the risk of a dodgy translation or relying on just one, perhaps defective, commentary. Like a Michelin-starred chef, I was quite protective about the quality of food I served. And I wouldn't be so complacent as to rely on the training provided by the most evangelical theological college in Oxford. Oh, no. I went to the Proclamation Trust training events, where retired rector of St Helens Bishopsgate, Dick Lucas, would put us through our paces like Olympic athletes. And that network involved a local preaching group where a group of curates would bounce sermon outlines off each other. Yes, it was all very serious and disciplined. No late nights out on Saturday, in bed with cocoa by 10pm. So the perspiration of preaching was a way of life. But you didn't just need hard work, you needed inspiration. To bring the Bible alive, you couldn't just ape the books. You needed memorable stories and illustrations that took the big theological ideas and earthed them in people's lives. And you never knew when the key breakthrough of inspiration would come. Sometimes on a Tuesday afternoon, sometimes in the small hours of Sunday morning where you'd have to rewrite the whole thing. Yes, that's the story that will do it for these people. There were notebooks of illustrations and we were always stealing stories from each other. We didn't care about being original. What we cared about was lighting up the Word of God in people's hearts. There was a sense in which I lived a proxy life during these years. It was as though I didn't really have a life for its own sake. As a preacher, I lived to gather sermon stories. Whether I was on top of the world or crying like a baby, the key thing about any experience was which bit of the Bible can it illustrate? I was a preacher, and everything else in my life found its place around preaching. Was I any good? I could take you to people who would say my sermons changed their life. And I mean for the better, who could quote back detail of what I'd said several years ago. But I could also find you plenty of people who cringed when they had to endure a sermon from me, the very sight of me climbing into a pulpit made them want to run away. What I can tell you is that there is no human skill I have wanted to be good at more than I wanted to be a good preacher. It was life and death and I gave it my all. When I sensed a sermon went down well, I felt on top of the world when it went badly, I would feel crushed because I had let God down. I think I was getting fairly good by my early 30s. My observation is that really good preachers usually start preaching young, probably in their teens, and in their 20s they go through the formal training. And then in their 30s they really learn how to read a congregation and they peak in their 40s. Well, I lost interest in my mid-thirties, so I never really got to the mountaintop. So why did I stop? I was in a big, successful church and getting a lot of encouraging feedback. But I was really learning to read the people. And I could see that the more intelligent and discerning congregations just would not buy the big ideas of Christianity I prided myself on being able to preach pretty skillfully the difficult things such as resurrection and Jesus' return and heaven and hell. I looked at their faces and body language and I realised their sceptical stance towards conservative Christianity was starting to shape me more than I was changing them. The fire of the message was cooling within me The flames became embers. The preacher stopped preaching and a way of life came to an end. When I meet people who knew me in those days, they often ask me, do you still preach? I often say, I'm doing my best not to. I'm still in recovery, but I haven't completely kicked the habit yet. Yes, I talk about preaching as though it were a bad habit of personal weakness, a bit like smoking. I suppose I spent a decade wanting to be a preacher. A decade preaching, and much more than a decade trying not to be a preacher, trying to recover from the preaching virus. Sometimes I will rise to the occasion. In the Swiss ski resort of Wengen in 2014, I couldn't say no when I was offered the Christmas Eve slot at the English-speaking church and I could immediately see my line into the German and English soldiers truce in the First World War exactly 100 years before. It wasn't exactly difficult to build a nice Christmas message on that but I am a pretty reluctant preacher. I can do the theatre and the performance, I can do the preacher's rhetoric and I still love church. I just cannot do the traditional Christian message. And there's nothing worse than the preacher who uses the pulpit as their confessional or therapy session for doubt. The approach I often go for these days is something like this. Here is the passage. Here is our question about this passage today. Now let me give you two answers. The first is the traditional Christian answer. And here comes a very different answer. Now pick the one that makes more sense to you. Yes, I can still make people think. But is that a sermon or a seminar? I had to renew my licence to officiate in the Church of England every five years. Last time it came up for renewal, I let it lapse. My hope is that this will help me to avoid preaching again. I'm really doing my best to give up preaching. Yes, I'm afraid I really do think preaching is generally a weakness of people who don't know much about Christianity or much about the world around us. Most sermons, I think, are a showcase for ignorance. Most preaching is simplistic marketing for a short-sighted worldview and a shallow faith. People who really care about God with real insight wouldn't be seen dead preaching. Pondering, probing, even poetry perhaps, discussion and debate, more like it. But not preaching. Yes, I want to talk about the Christian faith, but I don't want to preach. There's a lot to chew over, but for me, not much to proclaim that doesn't carry all the bad baggage that rightly discredits preaching. There is still a role for preaching, but it's reduced and much trickier than when I was a preacher. I do hope you can see Church Ahead is not a pulpit and I'm doing my best not to preach at you. Well, not much anyway. Thank you for listening to episode 65. Is that the end of our preaching series then? not at all. Next week we move on to ask what makes a really good preacher.